The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth and recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I'm very glad that you're listening, and I thank you for liking our Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook. Thank you for uh, commenting and for letting uh, us know that what's happening here on Spirit of Recovery is making a difference in your life and in your recovery and in your spiritual growth. So uh, that's great to get those messages. So thanks for letting me know what's going on for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. And I want to thank you also for letting your friends and your family members, the people in your unity community, your spiritual community, your recovery community, know about us here on Unity Online Radio, right here at Spirit of Recovery. And uh, it's great to know that you're spreading the word out there and that people are having the opportunity to hear these inspiring programs. Because every week we've got topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. My guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for or teach or support recovering people in some way. And often uh, my guests are people that are all of the above. So uh, we're always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can, of course, listen live uh, via your computer, via your smart device. You can also go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. You can listen via iTunes. If you have an Alexa-enabled device, you can ask Alexa to play Unity Online Radio. So there are lots of ways to listen. Also, uh, we have lots of great podcasts Um Great guests, great topics that you can listen to at your own uh, pace, at your time, at your leisure. And you can uh, access that through those venues as well. Or you can go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery and um, listen as you choose. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place so that if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction or you're just curious about what recovery is about, what addiction and and spirituality and all that's about, you're welcome here. I'm really glad that you're here and you're welcome to uh, make a comment or ask a question of my guest 
Um, we're just glad you're participating, glad you're listening. Also, I give a shout-out to family members because that's me. Um, and uh, if you've got somebody in your life, a friend or a family member uh, that's got the disease of addiction, I want you to know that family members can get in recovery as well, that we can learn how to let go of our enabling behaviors and really get focused on living uh, our lives. And that's a great support for ourselves, and it's the best support we can give to those that we love. So I want to shout out there to, to all the family members. I want you to know also that if you uh, like what you hear on Spirit of Recovery or any of the other great programs on UnityOnlineRadio.org, and you want to, you can um, support this radio station financially with a one-time or recurring gift. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone, and uh, you can do that and, and give some financial support to this nonprofit radio station. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I am your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and also an addictions counselor. And as I said a moment ago, I'm a person that has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And uh, 36 years ago, those relationships got me started um, on my own personal path of recovery as a family member and friend. And uh, it's just really opened amazing doors for me in terms of spiritual growth. And uh, my walk continues to be an integration of the unity spiritual principles and recovery principles. And that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing. So I'm really delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you about spirituality and recovery and to bring you great guests. So today we've got a great program and uh, it's called Keeping It Positive. And a positive psychology focuses on principles and practices that keep us grounded in appreciation of the good in ourselves and the good in our lives. And my guest today is uh, David Houck. David has been my guest before. He's got lots of wisdom and and lots to share. Um, and he's going to be sharing with us today about positive psychology as a way of uh, life, really, and also a wonderful way that uh, supports uh, people in uh, staying in long-term recovery. Uh, David is uh, a licensed uh, master social worker. He is a licensed chemical dependency counselor, and he's the director of programs at Austin Recovery, which is a great nonprofit uh, recovery center here in the Austin area that does a lot of good, and it's been doing much good for many years. And um, David, again, has been a clinician for many years, and he's also a person that is in long-term recovery himself. He's got a wealth of experience in supporting individuals and in supporting the recovery community. And he's really dedicated to helping his clients embrace change. He has a philosophy in which he is unequivocal. And he says that he believes that 100% of the people who seek treatment can stay sober. He says that he does not believe that relapse is a requirement. So you can learn more about what he does if you go to austinrecovery.org. So, David, welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's good to hear you. Thank you. Yeah, good to hear you, too, and, and uh, so glad you're here. And um, I got to attend a class uh, a few weeks ago that... Um, 
part of keeping up my own certification. Um, and uh, David taught that at Austin Recovery on ethics. And if you can believe it, he made a class in ethics very enjoyable and fun <laughs> and even funny. So- Thank you so much. <laughs> That's the best compliment I've had. That's great. That's true. <laughs> Good. It was really good. So and and insightful. I learned some things. So um, yeah. So glad you're here. And um, you know, again, you've been you've been a clinician for a long time, and uh, you've again, you're a person in long term recovery. So mm-hmm. why why are you so interested in, in positive psychology? What does that have to do with recovery or any of this? Oh, it, it has so much to do with it. We know that. Instilling an idea of hope is essential for recovery, that if I don't see a way out, if I don't see any benefit from doing all the work that it takes to be in recovery, um, I'm not going to be very motivated to go forward with it. And we spend so much time in negativity in the addiction and the shame and the hurt and the pain, and replacing that with something positive, it, it's only logical and it helps immensely. Great. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about what positive psychology actually is. I mean, in a sense, that's just a generic term, but there really is now a branch of study, and I know you're interested in that. Um, What what is it really? Well, um, Martin Seligman uh, is attributed with starting the School of Therapy. Um, He's out of the University of... uh, Pennsylvania, I believe. And you can see his TED Talk. If you look up Positive Psychology TED Talks, Martin Seligman is is one of those that pops up there. Um, Basically, rather than focusing on the problem, let's focus on solution. That's the short version of it. We tend to get so bogged down in looking at pathology and the hurts and the chaos that led to the problems that we have, we don't spend a whole lot of time focused on actual solution. It it takes me back to the whole Just Say No campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, Just Say No doesn't work because nature abhors a vacuum. You can't just say no without saying yes to something else. And what do you say yes to? Let's say yes to looking at the world in a positive frame of light, to looking at our goals and our ideals and our potential positively, and that by incorporating that into my daily life, there's no room for the negative, and the problems ease their way out. Mm-hmm. A short description. Right. You know, it kind of reminds me of this quote that um, at least is attributed to um Einstein, a lot of things were attributed to him, and it's not clear if he really said them or not, but, I, but it's good. Sure, sure. It's that mm-hmm. you can't solve the problem at the level of the problem. Is that yes. kind of go uh, along we, with this? We can't solve an old problem with old thinking. We have to have mm-hmm. a new way of looking at it, that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. One of the quotes about positive psychology is that traditionally, psychologists have a model, a business model, if you will, that um, if you come in complaining about one problem, you're working on your depression, we want you to have 10 more because our model is, well, let's keep finding stuff. Even if we have to dig into your childhood, we're going to find something wrong that demonstrates the need for psychological treatment. And while I don't want to minimize childhood stuff and I don't want to minimize that we do have to address those problems that got us here, if we can do it in a positive light, uh, 
it gives hope and it gives people motivation to make those changes. It's, it's kind of like the promises in the big book. It says before we're halfway through, we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. And positive psychology focuses on that freedom and happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you um, give us an example of like, let's say somebody that's, very new in recovery because they're at, at Austin Recovery where you're the director of programs. I mean, a lot of, I mean, obviously a lot of your work there is with people that are just getting into the recovery process, people that, um, have been in active addiction and, and they're coming in to engage in this recovery process. So how, I don't know, do you, can you use a, a positive psychology approach or not with somebody that's in that early stage? Oh, absolutely. It works great with people brand new, um, clients and their families as well. Um, one of my favorite brief interventions is to do a positive introduction. Now, the positive introduction is a, a twist on our usual ones because usually it's, hello, my name is David, I'm an alcoholic, and I got a DWI, and that's why I'm in treatment. But mm-hmm. the positive introduction requires that they tell a brief story of themselves at their best. So the client or the family member, rather than going around and saying, you know, these are the the terrible things that led me to this, not just telling their history, but let's tell about who you really are. And when we're at our best, when we accomplish something, a goal that we've set out, or we deal with a crisis effectively, that's who we really are. The addiction has dragged us down. The addiction has chipped away at our moral being, at our self-esteem. But somewhere in there, we are that loving child of God that we always were, that we were born to be, that we were meant to be. And when we introduce ourselves in a positive frame, first of all, most people have difficulty thinking of something that shows them at their best because they're so used to telling the stories of the chaos. So just in having them think about that for a minute, it changes their perspective. And then introducing themselves to others, well, you know, yes, I accomplished this. Then it's it's reinforcing of self-esteem and it reinforces what I believe is the true self, is that person who's capable of living life differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What kind of... Uh response do you see and and you do that like right off the bat i guess huh? when people come in or maybe in an early group or something is that when you have them do the positive introductions yeah usually the first time in process group or the first time a family member comes to my wednesday night family support group Mm -hmm. what happens to the energy level or what happens to people when they do that i mean do they seem surprised or i don't know what happens they do seem surprised and um, usually I'll start the group with an example of one of my own, but um, they have a couple different reactions. Some still stay stuck in, well, there's nothing really positive about me. I wish I had something to share. And then we can talk about why they're in that state, and they can get support from the other group immediately. Oh, no, come on, man, you're in treatment. You're willing to be here. You're, you know, you're taking time out of your day to come to this group. Um, depending on the situation, outpatient, residential. Um, and they can get some feedback from their peers right away that 
they're valued, that they want to be there, that other people can see in them something positive that they may not see in themselves. And mm-hmm. there's, there's a little bit of nervousness at first, but there's always a relief and a, a acknowledgement that, oh, maybe I'm not so bad. So it lifts the mood of the group in general and also of that individual coming in that we're not going to just talk about all the horrific stuff that we're mm-hmm. also going to talk about being a good person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the mood elevates. Right. Yeah, that it sounds really good. Like like you're saying, I could see that the it would lift up uh the the sense of the group or uh maybe the energy or whatever. I, mm-hmm. I how do you weave that in or not or what do you do how do you interface or whatever word you would use this sense of your real self and and the the aspects of you where you shine and and those things where there is pain or where there has been horrible things that have happened or that you've done even maybe sometimes well all of that um has to be i mean it's kind of like the dual diagnosis treatment where you don't just address one thing you have to address the whole person and that's one reason I chose social work um, it was because of the systems approach to look at from a you know a 360 view all around of what got us to this point um, we also address the problems that got us here but there needs to be a balance and balance is kind of what we're looking for in life um, mm-hmm. so it it's not that the two ideas of looking at pathology and looking at the positive are opposing one another. Um, They happen together. Mm -hmm. Um, Even when people were out there using, it wasn't all bad or else they wouldn't have kept using as long as they did. There were good things in there. They still had contact with family. Um, You know, not when they hit bottom, when things fell apart, all of that was gone. But, you know, in the beginning... It wasn't all horrible, and when you talk to an addict, the addiction is actually their solution to life. It's not seen as a problem. It's how they get through tough times. It's how they deal with grief. It's how they deal with stress at work and all of those other things. And it, you know, let's face it, people drink because it makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. There's, there's always a balance that we're looking for, and um, my my sponsor told me once that his definition of balance was balance is that point we pass by between extremes. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, we, that we don't just sit there, but that we, and the idea is to get those extremes closer together so that we're not in so much drama on either end of that extreme on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure I answered your question. I feel like I'm rambling. No, 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 no. That makes a lot of sense. No, that makes sense. Um, would you? I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Would you be willing to share with us a time uh, when you were at your best, or a time when you shone? Absolutely. Um, I have a, a couple different ones that that okay. fall into place. Um, one, um, and I'll I'll start with the, the more positive, I guess. Um, I have twins. The twins are 19 now, but when they were born, they were very premature. They were both less than two pounds when they were born. And we had to go, I was living in Kerrville, and we had to go to San Antonio for the nearest neonatal ICU. So the twins spent five months in the ICU. 
and my my wife almost died in delivery in that process, and it, it was a very traumatic process. Um, I was working full time. I was in graduate school at the time, and um, how I managed to get through all of that is the example of me at my best. And the key was that I asked for and I accepted help from other people. That's um, a big stumbling block for me. It's always been, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and take care of business on your own. But in this case, there was an email group that I'm still a member of. Uh, it's called AA Men. And the process is that the chairman for the month posts a topic um, on the email group. It's a listserv um, once a week. And then everybody in the group shares on that topic. And there's lots of off-topic stuff. But in this group, I asked for prayers for the twins because we weren't even sure that they were going to survive. I mean, they were less than two pounds. They were tiny. And I literally got prayers from all over the world. There are members of the group in the Philippines, in Thailand, in South America, in London, um, all across the United States. And the fact that that energy and that prayer and that positive thinking, I, I could feel it. And I was willing to ex accept that and embrace that. And that's, that's me at my best, is when I get connected to a bigger picture and a bigger solution. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that I love that because it's. I love what you were saying about you could really feel those prayers and and feel that support just coming through. It's like wow, what a what a affirmation of the presence of the higher power. Absolutely, and I know that I I could not have gotten through my wife and I could not have gotten through that without that help and that support. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's right. Thank you. Thank you a lot for sharing that. Thank you. Oh, sure thing. Well, how how does spirituality then, I mean, you're telling that as a, a, a spiritual experience like, um, and, and a sense of when you were at your best, how does spirituality tie into positive psychology? When we look at the higher power as a source of unconditional love, meaning that it's, it's not contingent on my behavior, it's not contingent on the number of prayers or hours I spend on my knees, it's just there. And that we are all able to tap into that source of love, um, that is is positivity right there. But one of the things that blocks us from tapping into that is the shame and guilt that I'm not worthy. There's so much of that shame and guilt tied to addiction, it prevents people from even being willing to reach out or consider that a higher power can support them. And getting them past that block um, can be a milestone that then opens up the road to recovery. And for years, for decades, people have talked about using affirmations. And this is a more personal and specific way of utilizing affirmations to improve your outlook on life. Give us an example of that. Like how how is it like a more personal use of affirmations? Um, when we, we talk about uh, 
positive psychology and, and using the positive introduction, for example, um, it forces people to look into not just the negative self-talk they've been doing, but to you know make it a more personalized affirmation. So an affirmation may be, I deserve love or I'm a valuable person. But when I can put a specific incidence in there where, you know, when I was in undergrad, there was a friend of mine who was disabled, and I made a point to spend a little extra time in understanding what his disability was and how I can help him. And we did things together, simple things like just going to the park, and I took the time out of my life to assist that person. It's not just that I deserve love. It's also looking at I'm capable of giving love and that person loved me back. And it was specific to a time that I took action. And as a result, there was direct benefit for me and those around me. Mm -hmm. um, and another example, my, my granddaughter, um, she's 11 now, and they have this pals thing at school. Um, and she was recognized by a coach because there's a special needs child in her grade. And my granddaughter just naturally goes over and talks and socializes and, and you know, hangs out with this guy just like he's a normal kid like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Nobody asked her to be supportive of this child. Nobody said, Christina, would you go help? Um, Christina just naturally gravitated towards somebody that she was interested in and she got recognized as an example of character um, by her school because this is something she innately does and children innately reach out to one another children don't judge children automatically have a positive outlook on life because they haven't that hasn't been broken in them yet mm-hmm mm-hmm one of the things that we do to heal that inner brokenness is to develop positivity as an adult, to reparent ourselves is one of the terms they use in inner child work. Um, so this positive psychology thing is not a brand new deal. It's incorporating all of the work that we've been doing up to this point and just focusing it a little bit more. Right. Yeah, it's like you're, the examples you're giving talk, are talking about taking action based on uh, positivity and, and making it uh, very personal and, and making it real. I guess it becomes real for you when you take an action. It does. It does. One of the things in positive psychology is to do something, uh, random acts of kindness is the, the phrase that's been thrown around a lot. And what positive psychology says is just intentionally do something positive for someone else. It's even better if you do it anonymously because it's not about getting the recognition. It's just doing something nice. It can be as simple as sending um, an email thanking someone else in the office for helping you on a project or you know, complimenting them in some way. Um, just taking a couple minutes of your time to type a couple sentences that's nice to someone else rather than just focusing on the business problem at hand. And the other person is uplifted, you're uplifted, and things are better. That's right.
Yeah. Train ourselves. Yeah. No, we have to train ourselves to think positively because we are so focused in our society on being negative all the time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, it makes a. It really makes a lot of uh, of difference. I just in my own life. I uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from a colleague who I really just met very briefly. Um, uh, but he sent me a note just to say, uh, just checking in, just letting you know, you know, how things are going on, on my end of things and just saying, you know, how, how's it going with you and stuff. And it was really sweet. It was like, thank you. Thanks for just taking the time, you know, to, to make that contact. And, and then, um, you know, I just took a minute just to write him a short email back and, you know, say thanks and just, um, let him know how things were going on my end. And it, it really matters. I think, I don't know, I think that we all want to know that we're seen, that, that we're noticed in a, you know, in a constructive way and that, that people care about us, that we, they know we're here. We're not just floating around randomly. Absolutely. Connection. Connection mm-hmm. between people makes all the difference. If, if we could all just take a minute and connect, the world would change entirely. I have an off-topic kind of thing, but there was a client once when I was a counselor, and we always would introduce the client, give them a little background information, and then try to decide which counselor would work best with that client based on that information. And this one guy was introduced as a grandmaster or grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. And I happened to be African-American, and my first thought was, oh, please give me that client. I would love to work with this guy. Mm-hmm. It turns out that he had never had a personal conversation with somebody of color. Wow. You know, his whole raising and all of that he was taught was all based on supposition and other people's opinion. And when we could actually sit down and talk with one another, it changed his perspective. It also changed my perspective mm-hmm. in just connecting with that one individual. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's really uh, a wonderful statement. I mean, that's what it's all about. Because you're right, so much of the hostility that goes on is based on uh, lack of contact, lack of information, or just going off of, you know, what you think you see in the distance or listening to other people's uninformed statements or stuff like that. That's cool. So did... um how did your perspective change in that situation? My perspective changed. Um, well, I had always had this idea that prejudice was based on ignorance. Um, but to see it in an actual example um, solidified that for me. Um, it was just a matter of not having experienced someone from a different culture. And once we actually we're both open and sat down and talked, um, it it opened things up. And I've used it elsewhere. Um, at, an example would be um, there was a guy who was running for office from the Tea Party. He had a big sign that said he was a Tea Party candidate. And rather than just, you know, label what I had heard in the media and from other people of what the Tea Party stood for, I walked up and asked him, okay, well, you know, how do you feel about education? How do you feel about this? And we actually had a a very good dialogue um, about 
what he wanted for his children and what I want for my children. And we were not so dissimilar, even though I see myself as more of a, you know, liberal-leaning independent. And it's something that opened a door for me in business and communicating with uh, clients. If somebody comes in negative and angry, I don't have to assume that that's who they are. I can say, well, this is a symptom of what they've been through. There's something missing for this person. And if we can find out what that is, then we can connect with that person and they can connect with others. We can get that ignorance out of the way. Well, yep, that's powerful. This case, it takes courage to open that door. It took courage, I, th- I would think, for you as that counselor to say, hey, give them to me. That mm-hmm. took guts. Yeah. And, and yeah. it also, you know, just in my, um, it was described as oppositional defiant disorder, I think. Um, just that mm-hmm. I want to do what the other people are not doing. Right. And that yeah. opens up possibilities in the world. Absolutely. Well, it's time for our uh, break here. So, um, listeners, stay with us. Our topic today is Keeping It Positive. My guest is David Houck. He is a licensed master social worker. He is a licensed chemical dependency counselor, and he's the director of programs at Austin Recovery, which is a great nonprofit recovery. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. What if you were intentional? about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant. Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Be sure to grab the latest issue of Unity Magazine and read the interview with Ram Das, the iconic spiritual leader of the 60s. He's now focused on how to age consciously. Spiritual author Thomas Moore reflects on grumpy old men and women. And Barbara Bowen writes a touching story about her experience as a caregiver to her mother with dementia. To subscribe to Unity Magazine, go to unity.org and click on Publications. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. 
If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. And if you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. And our topic today is keeping it positive. And my guest is David Houck. Um, he's a licensed master social worker and licensed chemical dependency counselor and the director of programs at Austin Recovery. And he is sharing with us how uh, taking a positive approach, the approach of positive psychology, uh, really empowers long-term recovery. And so uh, before I get back to my conversation with David, I'm going to invite you to join me for a very brief moment um, of conscious contact with your higher power as you understand your higher power in the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax and then we'll share a constructive idea and then just a few minutes in the quiet listening to some uh, soothing music. I invite you to relax, to feel that presence of your higher power within and around you, that presence of love and presence of peace. Allow yourself to relax all the way from the crown of your head, through your body temple, through your legs and feet. And share with me this constructive idea. My life is filled with loving moments. I am a loving person and I am loved. I take loving actions. My life is filled with love. I am a loving person. I take loving actions. My life is good. And we take a moment now in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I trust that it was an opportunity for you to make that conscious contact with the love and the goodness and the peace that is who you are, and making that conscious contact with your higher power as you understand it. So now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, David Houck, and again, we're talking about keeping it positive. So, um, David... uh, you uh, have an, uh, a concept that you've studied and that you use called explanatory style. Tell us about that. Well, um, uh, Dr. Jason Powers has written a curriculum for addiction recovery programs um, based on positive psychology, and one of the concepts in there is explanatory style. The basis of it is that based on the individual's way of explaining the world um, is how they see the world. Um, It's kind of like looking at the world through rose-colored glasses is a phrase that many people have heard, so that everything is rosy and happy, Um, or looking at the world through resentment-colored glasses, that it tends to be all about the negative. And there are things that we can do to change our explanatory style. 
Um, but there's a, a little parable that goes with this. Um, Depression-era farmer, and as we know, in the Depression, everything was bare minimum, and people were barely scratching by. And this farmer had one horse that he used for everything, um, plowing the fields, taking the wagon and the family to town to trade his goods, to go to church. He was completely dependent on this one horse. And one day, the horse runs off. And the neighbor comes over and says, oh, I'm so sorry. This is so horrible that your horse has run off. What are you and your family going to do? And the farmer says, oh, could be bad, could be good. I don't know. And then a little while later, the horse comes back. And not only is he back, but he's brought four mares with him. And the neighbor comes over, oh, this is wonderful. The, you have extra horses now, and, and you'll be able to sell some and, and do more work on the property and everything. And the farmer says, could be good, could be bad, I don't know. Then the farmer's son was out trying to break one of the horses and train them, and he was thrown, and his uh, leg was mangled badly. The horse stepped on him, and so the, the child, his son, his walking with a limp now. And the neighbor came over and said again, oh, this is horrible. I'm so sorry this happened. Farmer said, could be good, could be bad. I don't know. Then the draft came up and his son couldn't go to war. Could be good, could be bad. I don't know. With any situation in our lives, we have the option to look at it from a positive or a negative frame. It's a beautiful blue sky outside today. And I could look at that and say, oh, humbug, because I have to work and I can't be outside enjoying it. Or I could look at it, oh, I'm so grateful that it's a blue sky out there. That's wonderful. Yeah. George Carlin once put it, does it really matter if your glass is half full or half empty? You just should be grateful you have a glass in the first place. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, with all of this, we need to acknowledge that we have a tendency to look at the world through a negative lens and that there's specific work that we can do to change our lens to a more positive one. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Well, there is a gratitude exercise. And I know that in recovery we talk about having a gratitude list. It's a little different than the list. A list is a static list of, okay, these are the things I should remind myself on a regular basis that I'm grateful for. This exercise is different, and the exercise goes that every day for at least 21 days, pick three things that happen during your day and journal why you're grateful that those things happened. So there can be anything. Um, I got stuck in traffic on I-35. Well, most people would say, I'm sorry, that's horrible. And they would start talking about how horrible I-35 traffic is, and we would get this whole commissary around why 35 shouldn't be like that, and the legislature needs to do something, and all that. But the gratitude list is, okay, well, I got stuck in traffic, but what was there good that happened as a result? Well, since I was standing still, I could flip through the radio, and I discovered a new radio station today. And I really enjoyed that radio station, and I'm going to listen to it going forward. So if I hadn't been stuck in traffic on I-35, I never would have found that radio station. And mm -hmm. so there's reason to be grateful. And doing that every day for a series of weeks trains 
our brains to look for the positive even in seemingly negative events. And doing something consistently every day allows us to realize that that behavior matters, that we can make a difference and we can change the way we see the world. Exercise is another way. Exercise reinforces in your brain that your behavior matters because when you get up and run in the morning when you don't want to or you go for a walk when you don't necessarily want to and you feel better afterwards, your brain realizes that my behavior changes the way I think and feel. Right. You know, when you're saying that, I I see that like in a sense addiction is very passive in the sense that it kind of grabs you and uh, shows you what you're going to be doing or it drags you down the street, so to speak. And that's whether a substance addiction or whether a family, as a family member or friend, you know, uh, focusing on somebody else's behavior is kind of grabs us and drags us down the street, so to speak. And this is this is different. This is a really shift in a, a, as a whole frame about what, what behavior is, our own behavior, taking responsibility. It is. It is. And having some hope that I, I can make a difference. And if I change the way I see the world, then every day it can be better. Mm-hmm. Not just mm-hmm. right now, but, you know, and I can spread that joy to other people. Right. You see it in other things, the pay it forward message. That's, you know, creating a random act of kindness for another person, and then they do that for another person, and it spreads, and it's a connection between all of us. Right. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's like that it, it just opens up this whole other layer, in a way, of reality. It does. It does, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's so much good that can come from it. Right. What happens for people that you work with um, when you introduce them to these ideas and um, uh, encourage them to try some of this? Do they do it? Um, not do it? Struggle? Have a positive well, effect? It always has an effect. Um, sometimes they struggle with it, and um, I had one client actually say, "So, David, what you're telling me is you want me to lie to myself." on a regular basis because they just had no idea that they could be positive. And I said, yes, please lie to yourself on a regular basis until it's no longer a lie. There's resistance, but there's also people who come back and say, I'm so grateful. This is wonderful. I'm going to tell all my friends about this. Right. Dr. Powers actually also has a daily meditation that includes a positive thought for the day, and then a positive activity that reinforces that positive thought. Where can people access that? I guess it's online, I'm assuming. How would they I, find that? I believe that um, they can find it through Amazon. Um, his name is Jason Powers, Dr. Jason Powers. He's the medical director at the Right Step Treatment Center. And um, the title of the curriculum is just Positive Recovery. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Yep. So people could look it up and mm-hmm. um, access it if they wanted to. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's good. What got you interested in in positive psychology um, as a particular focus? When did or when did you start getting uh, finding out about it and use it really using it? Well, um, actually, before it was 
titled such. Um, my mother um, got her second master's degree in psychology, and her thesis was based on positive connection between counselor and client or counselor and patient. So uh, the idea when I was 10 or 11, seeing her go through that research and discussing it is actually kind of what started it for me, um, that you can have a positive impact on the people around you and that the way people react to one another should be considered in those decisions. Um, but it became more solidified um, when I actually took this training with Dr. Powers and became certified um, in his curriculum on positive recovery. Ah, all right. So you use that whole curriculum now, or, or at least parts of it, overtly, I, I mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to say that my own recovery is a big part of that as well. Um, I had maybe nine months sober, and I was in a meeting on a Sunday morning, just part of my regular routine. And I was there a little bit early making coffee and getting the place ready. And this old-timer, Charlie, um, just a character in and of itself, but he looked at me and said, David, you're smiling. And it caught me off guard because I wasn't trying to put on a happy face. I was just doing my regular work, getting ready for the meeting. And I was smiling, and I realized that I genuinely felt good. It was, it was like I, I realized suddenly that recovery was working and mm-hmm. that it wasn't a fake thing. It wasn't that I was, you know, putting on a smiling mask like I, I did earlier in recovery because I thought that's what people expected. It had become who I was, that it was okay. And just that realization key that somebody else saw it before I did that I was happy, and that was a sign for me that recovery was actually working in my life. Mm-hmm. And what did that uh, propel for you? Did that uh, change your approach or change how you understood yourself? It did. Um, one thing that I've been a proponent of for a long time is that there shouldn't be reference to denial or that a client doesn't want to get sober. Um, Mm -hmm. That is just not, well, it's not positive, obviously, but it also underestimates what the clients are capable of, and it kind of uh, sets counselors up to prejudge clients, that if there's any resistance, oh, let's write it off to denial, or if there's a failure, they didn't really want it. So anytime I'm supervising other staff, other counselors. I always put the spin on it that this person is not in denial. They just have not found the proper motivation yet, or they have not um, discovered that internal motivation, or more importantly, what have we done as counselors that has failed to motivate them? Mm-hmm. We have to look at ourselves and examine what I can bring positive to the table. If I walk into, well, let me back up a little bit. There was a survey done with um, teachers in schools in the classroom. And one one group of teachers was told that their class was 
underachievers, that these were kids who, you know, there wasn't a lot of hope for, that their IQ was low, that they were going to be a challenge. And that's how the teacher approached these students. And there was another group of teachers that were told, you have a class of gifted students. And these gifted students are possible of doing any number of things. So the teachers approached the class that way. And the truth was, these were all average, random children. There was no separation of the children based on their capabilities. And yet, the students who had teachers that were told they were positive all did better on test scores. They all did had better outcomes um, from the school year because the teachers walked into the room with the idea that this was going to be a positive experience, that these kids were capable of more. Right. So it, the mindset, the explanatory style, the pre-judgment, if you will, um, makes a difference in outcomes. And if counselors can walk into situations where they're working with addicts and alcoholics with that positive mind frame, positive mindset that everyone can stay sober, that everyone can change their lives, then they're more likely to reach out to all of them and allow all of them to grow rather than to assume ahead of time, well, half of these people are going to relapse, so that's just the nature of it. Right. It's like I, I remember um, when I was doing my internship years ago, the lead counselor um, really impressed upon us. He said, you know, what your job is is to give people hope because the ones that are so belligerent, the reason that what's going on with them is they don't have any hope. Mm-hmm. And so your job is to just what you're just saying is to do what you can to see, you know, what what is it that matters to them and how are you going to convey to them a sense of hope. And that's always stuck with me, always stuck with me um, as as that, that that's why people, any of us do what we do is because we think we're not worth it and we think there's no hope, so why bother? So I'm just going to be my grumpy self. <laughs> Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's all I—that's that, all I know how to do right today, maybe. That's it. But that's right. not the me. Yeah. No, no. And that doesn't help us any. No, it does not. It really doesn't. No, that's. A, I thank you for telling that story. It's—it's it's true, and um, it, it matters how we see ourselves, and it matters how we see each other. It does. So, what would you say, just as we're uh, coming to the close here of our time together? about a person uh, in recovery, again, a family member or a person who's recovering from the disease of addiction, what's uh, one or two things that that, uh, they can do to put this positive psychology into use in their life, their recovery? One is to um, foster hope without developing expectations. There's a big difference between hope and expectations. Hope is the possibility, and it's in part left to our higher power, that our higher power can come into our lives and make a huge difference, and to do the things that allow us to prepare for that higher power's intervention in our lives and to be open to the revelation of how that higher power is working for us. Um, To keep that open mind is essential. And I really do want people to try that gratitude exercise where 
Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Conscious living start now for a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential. Tune in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Every day we're faced with countless decisions, some seemingly insignificant, others life-changing. In each situation, we want to consider all the options. But in an effort to choose wisely, I may become anxious and confused, thinking that my peace of mind depends upon making the right decision. Perhaps this is backwards thinking. Actually, beginning with peace of mind helps me make good decisions. Peace is not the result of a particular circumstance, but the very cause that keeps me calm no matter what I'm facing. Inner peace clears my mind of doubt and allows me to see what would serve me best. When I have to make a choice, I remember, for every question there is an answer, and that answer begins with the peace I already have. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.com. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. Be sure to grab the latest issue of Unity Magazine and read the interview with Ram Das, the iconic spiritual leader of the 60s. He's now focused on how to age consciously. Spiritual author Thomas Moore reflects on grumpy old men and women. And Barbara Bowen writes a touching story about her experience as a caregiver to her mother with dementia. To subscribe to Unity Magazine, go to unity.org and click on Publications. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. 
On the Dropping In Podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.